Ladies and gents, welcome back to another edition of the Border Wars. We are back with the full crew. Sawyer's in the house. We got Smitty yes, here. Sir. Sawyer's literally, literally in the house. Yeah, quite literally in the house. Uh, Tommy's smoking a cigar in the house, just so everyone knows. Some of a badass. <laughs> <laughs> your house, your rules. I got your yeah, clothes. Going, I got this door open. You know? I know, I know, I know. I'm just giving you shit. Going full Jordan-esque. That's why I did it, you know? Last dance, baby. Oh, yeah. This fucking guy, huh? This fucking guy. Well, anyways, um, another week. There's been some progress, boys. Um, the major states across this great union of ours, New York, Texas, California, indicated that uh, sports may be coming back soon. California's prepared potentially June 1. And I think it's a good sign that, you know, the most populous states, those being California, New York, and California, seem to have a game plan. And uh, I think it's promising that sports will return soon. So before we get into the last dance, I kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, the return of sports for some of us like Sawyer, Bundesliga, soccer, Back. Oh yeah, it was last uh, this past Saturday. It was yeah. Uh, so uh, first, first sport well, back. Well, besides the Korean leagues, but yeah. Yeah. So we'll have a little little breath of fresh air coming in, and I think uh, the whole world's ready for it. I know I am. So uh, you guys excited about the potential of the return of uh, of live sports? Oh, absolutely. I mean, come on, Tommy. How how could we say no to that? Uh, I have a question for you. There's something I've seen on social media quite a bit and i have a decent opinion on is what do you think about like uh you know games playing in in stadiums that are empty because you know like lebron came out and said something like i'm not didn't he say something about not wanting to play in front of fans or in front of no fans he said Uh, that really early um before i think he had the time to like talk with his his people i think it sounded a little tone deaf at the time i think at this point Everybody's just ready to play, whether they're fans in the stadium or not. Yeah, I um, think. I, yeah. Obviously, I think it's a little different for like. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to play football in a silent stadium. But I mean, when you when it comes to baseball, the Rays have been doing it for like the last twenty years. So like, you know, how different could it really be? Or yeah, or like K State, uh, basketball and whatnot. Um, I I think that's wrong I know that's inaccurate (laughs) Um, so I just thought about it and even in like soccer leagues like even with the Bundesliga some coaches have said like it's you know the love of the game is missing without the fans in the crowd and yada 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 and it's like that's a point that I kind of like in my own opinion disagree with because I think the the love of the game and and the passion for the game you're not playing well maybe in a professional level you are playing it for the fans but you're you're playing for yourself and for your teammates and like that's part of why I love sports is like the love of the grind like the practices four days a week when there is no one there except for your teammates and your coach and like to me that's the real essence of sport um not some like grand door show where there's you know millions of spectators but yeah. treats their own you know what i mean yeah i see what you're yeah. saying for for me you know I, like i've never played in front of 40 50 70,000 fans but you know when i was playing playing sports i truly could not like to me it wouldn't matter if there were fans in the stands or not because even when there was like, even when I played in front of bigger crowds and stuff, when I was in the game, whether I was at bat or, or on the football field, I really could not hear the fans. Honestly, I don't know if it was just because I was so zoned in or what. So I, you know, obviously we're talking about comparing high school sports to, you know, professional sports. Um, I'm sure, you know, fan noise obviously makes a difference, especially in places like Arrowhead. Um, but yeah, you know, I think really, I think it does go to the fact of just playing for the love of the game. If you truly care about the sport, I don't care if, if, you know, if I was LeBron or, or, you know, Pat Mahomes, I don't care if I'm playing in front of uh, five people or 500,000 people, you know, I just want to go out and play. Um, I think it gets, I think where it gets really sticky is like when you look at, um, the major league baseball association right now, 
where, um, you know, players are being asked to take pay cuts because the season is shorter. I think that's where there's a huge difference on um, players not really wanting to play um, because, you know, like, I don't know if you guys saw that, that video that I sent to the group of, of Blake Snell, you know, his there's some things that Blake Snell said that I disagreed with. And there's things that I, that he said that I agreed with, you know, he basically was saying that, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of players feel the same way he does is that big baseball specifically, um, they're not willing to take pay cuts because every single time they step on the field, they're risking uh, death and injury, uh, whether coronavirus is around or not. So um, I can see where, where Blake Snell's comments, you know, come into factor. But um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you really do have to play for the love of the game. And um, regarding the pay cut, you know, I think he made a good point. It's like, all right, well, yes, they make millions of dollars, but they also get taxed hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. So if you make a million dollars and you get 25% taxes taken out, that's $250,000. So, you know, that's, that's a huge chunk. Yeah, okay, but okay, here's the thing on Blake Snell. What people are missing is that starting next season, his salary, you know, you know, pending arbitration or whatnot, will increase to like $10 million a year. So he's kind of crying over spilled milk. And I understand that, like, he's saying, well, XYZ, I won't be making as much money. But that's the reality for everybody else that yes, wants to go back exactly. to on the field. So he's kind of making himself out to be this martyr when in reality there are hundreds of other baseball players that do not share a similar sentiment. And yeah, Blake sells the 2018 Cy Young award winner, but is he really a face of baseball that's going to make a big like, you know, impact on whether or not they return? I don't think so. I think honestly, if somebody who's educated like Trevor Bauer comes out and says something, he's probably not even at this point in his career as good of a pitcher as Blake Snell. But his voice is more heard, and it's more t- he's he takes more tact in what he says, and he's more measured in what he says. I really I think because he's the only voice speaking up, it's the loudest one in the room. Um, but for the most part, I think most people want to go back, and I would be interested to see what his opinion would be if it was a similar situation like the NBA, where eighty percent of the games have already been played, so you've got pretty like notable standings. Um, work that has been put into this season. Okay, so now are you are you you would say the Rays are in first place? They got a five game lead. Are you going to say, well, I don't want to come back until I get my full salary and forsake an opportunity to championship? So I don't think you can start picking and choosing your spots on when you want to come back. You're either all in or you're all out. And if Blake Snell doesn't have to play baseball, he can sit at home. He can lose money on his contract. They they can they they can't compel him to play. So if it's really this player safety thing, sure, stay at home. That's the reality. Millions of Americans are facing. If they don't feel comfortable, they have to stay home and they can't do it. So I I just feel like he's falling on a sword that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I I think is a you know right. I, and I don't disagree with that. I think baseball is just in a completely different situation than any other sport, just because of how long the season is. Um, and like like you said, compared to NBA, NBA is already eighty percent of the season done. The MLB the MLB season hasn't even started yet, and they're already talking about cutting it down. So you know, and another thing too is his argument about the money is that when he signed a contract, that should be that's guaranteed money that he's, you know, missing out. So technically, you know, he already signed a contract that said I'm owed this money. So I see his argument, but I do see your point too. That's why I don't fully disagree with him, but I don't also fully agree with him as well. I think a lot of what he and said I has, think that, has been tone deaf. Tone yeah. Deaf well, to, but another, I mean, just, another thing too yeah, is you say, you know, all in and all in or all out. You can't tell me that Blake Snell is the only person that feels that, that way, especially when you, I think, the players that are going to feel more like Blake Snell are players that don't make as much money as the Mike Trouts, you know, the, the Francisco Lindors, you know, those guys that, that don't have as much guaranteed money coming in. But the reality is if they don't go back to work, they still don't get paid. So yeah. do you want to sit out a whole season because of a labor dispute. I mean, in effect, you'd go on strike, right? I mean, right. do you want to sit out an ent- entire season and miss out on all the money you could possibly make? 
or take a reduced salary. I mean, I know people, I have people that are close to me that have had to take 20% salary reductions. It's just the reality of the world we're mm-hmm. in right now. So I agree with Sawyer. It's completely tone deaf. People are going to have to make sacrifices. And there's a certain level of, you know, I know a lot of people in the major leagues are not American born, but a lot of people in American professional sports are. And I think there's a certain level of patriotism you should have in wanting to go back and wanting to give the country hope. There are a lot of people that don't really know what to expect still. Um, I think a lot of people have already also already made up their minds on going back out and re-entering society. But I think you saw with the um, charity PG, PGA event this weekend, with the NASCAR events, with um, with the last dance even. People are looking for something to, to, to do, to hold on to, to, to grab onto and an experience together in a shared experience. We are very divided right now in the country. And I think it would go a long way for professional athletes to say, okay, once there's a plan in place, the majority of us can agree to, fuck the Blake Snells. We're going to go back to work and we're going to give the people of this country something to watch and something to cheer for again. That's how I feel. And that's why good point. even if I were a player in a position where I felt like I had to forsake some of my salary, tough shit. I mean, you make hundreds of thousands of dollars, if, even if you're one of the mm-hmm. worst or players the, in the yeah. majors. Yeah. For so, sure. No, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, if it were, if I were in Blake Snell's shoes, I would I'd be playing. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, 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 uh, it seems disingenuous because I think it's all a negotiating tactic because he thinks he should, he deserves to get paid, getting paid more now. Is if That's tone deaf too, in the midst of a global pandemic to say, Hey, I know I made this agreement to pay, play for this amount of money. I don't like it. I want to get paid more and I want my full salary on top of that. Like, I mean, we could talk day and night about how I think it's just selfish, but I, that's the reality. I understand people have different opinions on it, but that's how, that's how it looks to some, to the casual observer like me. So that being said, let's get into the last dance and we'll go through quick. Cause I feel like there wasn't a whole lot to go through in that episode this weekend because it kind of fizzled to it was great i mean it was good don't get me wrong but in terms of what we saw in the first eight and then what we got in the last two we kind of knew the inevitable close which was you know jordan comes back he beats the jazz in 97 steve kerr hits that game winner we have the great story about steve kerr and all the trials and tribulations he experienced coming up through college and into the NBA, and then Michael wins, and we see the Bulls kind of dismantle. And that was the pin in it, and that was it. Um, I thought they were both really good, but I didn't think we really need to get into them very deep because there wasn't a whole lot to discuss. Um, it just kind of it ended. A great eight hours of television came to an end, and I'm, I was fine with that. I was kind of ready to get the kind of the conclusion to the whole Jordan saga. Yeah, no, I, I I'm right there with you. I thought like out of all ten episodes, these two were the, and I say this lightly, least entertaining, um, just because, like you said, we we already knew what was happening. Um, now, like I said, don't get me wrong, I think the episodes were were both great, but um, you know, out of out of all ten, I think these were the least entertaining. I didn't know uh, any of that stuff about Steve Kerr's dad. That was um, that was pretty interesting. Um, what happened to him in in Beirut? Um, but yeah, I wish, you know, honestly, like my, my only complaint is I, I, and this is minor complaint, I wish they would have dived a little bit deeper into um, Jordan, the Jordan sneaker deal. Um, you know, I know they <laughs> briefly mentioned that. Well, uh, this and, uh, and um, uh, uh, Jordan's dad's father's, you know, death. Now, obviously, I understand. I'm sure Jordan probably didn't want to go full detail about, uh, you know, his father passing away. But those are those are two things I wish they would have dived a little deeper in um, just because like talking about the Jordan shoes that completely captivated and still to this day um, an entire culture. And I think they hit it a little bit on the head at the end of um, episode 10 when um, was it David Stern said, um, uh, you know, we basketball was only around in what, like, what do you say, like 15 or 80 countries. And now it's in 200 and some odd countries now. Um, you know, I think that really is a tribute to obviously Jordan in, in the pools. 
Yeah. Um, I think that, I think for the most, for most people, they understand the global impact that he had on the game. Um, I'm glad they didn't dwell on, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm negating what you said, but I'm glad they didn't dwell on the death of his dad, because I think anyone who has a loved one that has lost a loved one understands the impact that that has and understands what he was playing for and understands, you know, what he was up against. And I think to this day, people can speculate on why it happened, who did it, you know, what they have to say, but I don't really, really care to hear, you know, some kid who was 19, his excuse 20 years later for why he, you know, shot an innocent man in his car. Um, I thought, you know, I, I, I said this in prior episodes, like we talked about the greatness of Phil Jackson. And I think from a, just a pure coaching perspective, you know, I think he is the greatest possibly coach in, in American professional sports ever. Um, and just, I thought that that moment, there were two things that he did in the, in the last two episodes that were really interesting. There was the uh, game seven speech before the game against the Pacers where he was like, um, I need you guys to get comfortable with the idea that we could lose, you know, get yourselves ready for that mentally, get yourself ready for that moment. I can't imagine being a coach telling about a group of guys, Hey, like I wouldn't, not that I would have like, Oh, who has the gall to say that? But like, I wouldn't think to prepare my players for something like that because you never go into a situation like, yeah, we might lose this game. Um, but you know, that's a reality, but to address it so bluntly, but I thought it was hilarious was Michael was like, now fuck that. We're going to win this like bulls on three. That's so that Phil Jackson moment was interesting. And then when the team won their last, their sixth in 98 and he, his wife at the time had done social work. And part of the grieving process was, you know, putting things down to paper and letting them go. And I thought it was really interesting, the method where they all wrote down something on a piece of paper and they put it into a coffee pot and then they burned it after everyone had read what they had written down. And Michael Jordan actually wrote a poem. And I would pay good money to know what that poem said. Like, I, I know That's it's true. lost in, into the ether, but I can't even imagine. Hearing some sentiment from Michael Jordan would probably be like a once in a lifetime experience, like hearing him share something internal that's not in front of a camera that doesn't have everybody around, like his inner thoughts about everything. I think that that was a really interesting moment um, and a really powerful way to kind of put a pin and have closure on what they had all gone through together over the past, you know, really eight years because, you know, Michael was still kind of a part of the Bulls organization while he was playing baseball. He was still going to games. He was still, you know, going to BJ Armstrong's place and got, showing up at practice sometimes. So that's really like an eight year saga that we covered, you know, in the span of eight hours. And uh, I think Phil Jackson was the person who I came away from this with the most respect for after watching it. Yeah, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, to your comment about Phil Jackson, uh, you know, say, preparing his guys, you know, if they lost, I, I truly think that was obviously a reverse psychology um, on his end. And, you know, I think he knew, like we discussed earlier, how to get the most out of his players. And I think he knew him saying that was going to get the exact response that Jordan gave him, like, fuck that, we're going to win this game. Um, you know, and I think, the the New, the New Jersey Nets game, what was that in ninety? Was it ninety six or ninety seven? That the the first round where they gave him a they gave him a run for their money. You know, I think yeah. him saying that to his players really just let them know that hey, you guys aren't you guys are great, but you guys aren't invincible as well. Um, you know, go out and put the nail in the coffin, if you will, um, and win it. And obviously that happened. Um, and then another thing too is. Um, going back to like Jordan's what Jordan's poem and what he wrote, I bet there's just so much uh, endearment in that. Um, you know, I think through this entire documentary, you see Jordan was this quote unquote asshole to his teammates, but throughout the documentary, you see a lot of endearment. Um, you know, him, he talked a lot of shit um, to motivate his teammates, but when, the, when he talked shit and said, Hey, you know, 
you better make this free throw or I'm going to call you a piece of shit. And then they made the free throw. He'd be like, that's how you do it. So I, yeah, like you said, I would, I would, I would pay lots of money to, to see what, what was written on that, that piece of paper, because it probably had have just been a complete heartfelt, uh, you know, endearment from Michael Jordan to the rest of his teammates. Um, because yeah. I'm sure that's probably the, that's, that might be the only way that he knows how to express um, his endearment. Uh, with the competitor that he was on the court to his yeah. teammates. Maybe Michael Jackson's like a secret poet. Like maybe he's been publishing stuff under like a secret pen name this whole Michael, time. You mean, you, mean, you mean Michael Jordan? You said Michael Jackson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Michael yeah, Jackson. I was going to say he was a public I, poet. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you, uh, I think you combined Phil and Michael. Yeah. Sorry. Michael Jordan. Not Michael Jackson. We'll cut that. Michael Jackson was a great poet. He was. He wrote wrote great, great songs. Was was the show what you guys, because I know both of you were very excited to watch it. And I remember Mike, uh, were your expectations fulfilled? Because I remember Mike mentioning how he wanted to see like how much, like who, who would say Jordan was an asshole behind the scenes, right? Like who would, and, and, Sorry, hold on, give me one second. And like who uh who would go on and say that and we could see the real side of Michael and was it what you expected as a eight part documentary? Yeah, I think this was really everything and more. Um, you know, obviously not in the last two. I think we got so much more than what we what we expected in those first eight um, you know, eight episodes. Um uh, and, and kind of like what Tommy was saying, uh beforehand we're i think people are just so desperate for sports that it just made this documentary was was serious was awesome but i think it was just that much better because we just don't we don't have anything we don't have sports to relate to um and i think also it kind of allowed us to see the human side of it you know i mentioned it and i think in the first episode that we got together you know we we see these uh athletes gods all-stars you know, mm-hmm. we kind of humans, humans too. And I think we got to de- dive deeper into who Michael Jordan was as a person, um, you know, and why he was such, why he was the type of competitor that he was. Yeah, I would echo that sentiment. And I think it gave me a great appreciation for his impact on the game of basketball, but just his cultural impact as an icon and how much he was able to do just out of sheer will. I mean, at the end of his run of championships, he was not this explosive, high-flying acrobatic athlete anymore. He had to res- he had to rely so heavily on his post-game, his moxie, being a wily player, understanding positioning and pacing and where to be on the floor and, you know, he had to become a student of the game again. Because you see this in every sport, but especially in basketball, when your athleticism starts to fade, you have to figure out other ways to be effective. You know, so you work on your jump shot. For Michael, it was his post game and his timing and picking his moments on when to when to be lethal and when to be a killer on the floor. And then, you know, being able to take it back. And, you know, wait for that moment again. I mean, if you look at the end of game six in 98, the last 41 seconds, the only bull to touch the ball was Michael. He scored to bring them within one. And then the Jazz bring the ball back down the floor. And he had studied uh, throughout that game and understood where Malone was going to catch the ball. In the post, he comes from behind, pokes it out, dribbles the ball back up the floor, takes Byron Rus- Brian Russell one-on-one, and the rest is history. I mean, so it, you take, it takes these isolated moments that you remember, like the shot against Cleveland. I guess we weren't born yet, but that you remember seeing as a kid, the shot against Cleveland, the first champion, championship against Detroit, him leaving to go play baseball the 98 championship, the, sh- the shot, the final shot. It takes all these moments and that were like 
pinholed like this and shows you everything else around them and shows all the other things and all those other, you know, moving parts around them, I think create a greater appreciation for it. You understand that Dennis Rodman was just disappearing in the middle of playoff series, that Scottie Pippen wasn't the best teammate, that Jerry Krause was doing anything in his power to, to tear down this dynasty. Like you, you realize all these ex- external forces that stacked up against Jordan and he still was able to do it like no matter what. And so that's where my greater appreciation comes from. It was just, it was just incredible. And yeah, it is the only thing new to watch on TV. That's not like a gay tiger zoo owner who, you know, tricks guys into marrying him with meth and it's not Ozark, but you know, it's the only thing besides Netflix and like original TV, like scripted television that, that we have. And this isn't scripted. I mean, it is to some extent because like Michael Jordan has like full like product producer, like credit on it, but like still you can only rewrite history so much. The proof is there. And that's why I, I, I just loved it. I, I would, I want one of these on every star from the nineties. I want one on Ken Griffey Jr. I want one on, you know, Derek Jeter. I want one on Shaquille O'Neal. I want one on Ray Lewis. I would really love one on Ray Lewis. That would be fucking interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I want one on, you know, Jerry Rice, all these people, you know, you're going to see every like prominent athlete. Now, Tom Brady, I bet's going to film crew with him the entire time he's in Tampa. If he hasn't had one already. And what's crazy about this, Michael Jordan has been sitting on this footage for years. And the day he decided to announce that they were doing this was the day that Jordan, or sorry, that LeBron finally had won his championship in Cleveland. The day he had finally really kind of done it on his own and decided and started telling the world he was the greatest of all time. And that's when Michael, you see the competitive nature of him come full circle. He's like, no, fuck that. I'm going to show you who was the best. And I'm not here to say who was and who wasn't, but I mean, it speaks for itself. Well, I think another thing too is, uh, and real quickly, like to to continue on to what you're saying, Tommy, is for me personally, it was nice to see the evolution of Michael Jordan. Like you said, we all know these these, um, picture perfect moments, these moments in history, but it was nice to see what it took to get to those, uh, those moments you know you see him getting beat up by the pistons you see him completely reforming and changing his body going from baseball to basketball um you know it's easy for for people like us that were were young and and, you know don't understand the process uh, at the time to see it kind of come full circle of how did michael jordan climb that mountain you know we know michael jordan got to the top of the mountain but how did he get there um and it's it, it was interesting to see you know, how his teammates viewed him, how his coaches viewed him, how his close friends and family viewed him, um, and how, more importantly, how he viewed himself. Um, for him to, you know, sit there and say that he knew he was an asshole um, and that he might have crossed the line at times, you know, how many people can sit there and admit uh, self-fault? Not a lot of people are willing to do that. Um, and I think that says a lot about about Michael Jordan um, that I learned in this this complete series. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we could talk for days and days and days about, about Michael and what he meant to the sport of basketball and who's the goat. And I think it's just good to leave. I think this, this documentary, what I like didn't make any claims to be that anybody was anything different than what they were. Um, so it kind of just lets basketball be, it be a part of history. It doesn't get into this. Who was a goat like magic Kareem, LeBron, Jordan. And cause that's, that's an argument. If I'm being truly honest, I, as somebody who's loved basketball since I was a kid, I fucking hate that argument because it's so hard to determine era to era who the best basketball player of all time was. So I think it's just great that we can have this moment in history and appreciate it for what it was. Let all the talk shows do all the, you know, the comparisons and everything. But for us, the consuming public, like just, just enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I saw something on Twitter. It was, you know, I thought it was a, a great comparison that, that Jordan was, 
was the goat of the nineties, you know, um, and then, uh, eighties, uh, nineties, and then Kobe was the goat of the, of the nineties, early two thousands. And then LeBron was the goat of the early two thousands to, to where we're at now. And I think that's kind of the perfect way to put it, you know, um, and kind of like you said, each, all three of those individuals are probably considered the top three, um, on most people's list, uh, of the greatest basketballs of all players of all time. Um, I think, it, we can all agree that those three individuals owned their era of basketball. And I, I, I don't think there's any other way to put, put the, that comparison between the, the three. Yeah. So as the, uh, as a documentary did so fittingly, this is the end of our conversations about the last dance, at least for the sake of the podcast. Um, it was a good, great thing to have to kind of get us, off the ground and running on this on this show. Um, I kind of wanted to shift gears now into um, what's been on my mind the most from a Kansas City sports perspective. I guess I was kind of looking forward to the Royals coming back, um, but didn't have high expectations for this year. What I do want to talk about is the prospects of the Kansas City Chiefs going into 2020. Um, what your guys' thoughts are on potentially uh, you know, starting the season, maybe as normal with fans in the stadium. But then maybe also kind of discuss what it may look like if we can't have a full arrowhead and how much that might actually impact the success of the Chiefs with us being known as arguably the best stadium fan base in football. Um, so I know I'm definitely excited. I think there's a lot, a great possibility to repeat as uh, division champs again. I, I would put a lot of money on that. Um, beyond that, it's, it's hard to tell. Football is a, a, a fickle sport. Um, one injury can change the trajectory of a team. So uh, I just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on the upcoming season because it's it's three months away before the first preseason game. So um, guys' thoughts, feelings on uh, the upcoming NFL season. Yeah, um, you know, normally I would say that, uh, you know, obviously a place like Arrowhead does have a huge impact on games, and it obviously does. But I think – um, to, to your point of, of, of fans not being in the stadium affecting any games or outcome games, I just think that the Chiefs, the team is just too good. Um, you know, they didn't lose much. I think they got better on offense, which is which is hard to do um, with the offense of production that they had last season. But they they did get better. I I said it last last year, barring you know the injuries or anything crazy like that happening. The Chiefs have no excuse to not win the Super Bowl or at least not make the Super Bowl. Um, I think that it's the same scenario this year. Um, they clearly have to be um, the favorite to win the Super Bowl again this year. Uh, if not, then, you know, they, they, they have to be a favorite to make the Super Bowl. Um, I know how hard it is to to repeat and to even get to the Super Bowl. But like I said, barring barring any injuries, which obviously those do happen. Um, I, I just don't see the Chiefs not making the Super Bowl if if that's, you know, regardless of if there's fans or not, um, because at the end of the day, if there aren't any fans, Fox Sports has already said they're already going to pump some kind of crowd noise in, into it. And now I obviously don't think they're going to pump the same that's decibels so as, Air, as Arrowhead normally would be, but there'll be some kind of stadium noise in there. So, like I said, out, outside of injury, I think I'd. I don't see the Chiefs not making the Super Bowl. Ooh, I have – I mean, that is such a tough claim to make, in my opinion, because I think the the journey of any sports team, and specifically football, we're in such a – you know, it's a war of attrition. Getting through a season, getting to the Super Bowl, I think that's a hard claim to make for any team to say, I think they'll be in the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, if, if injuries didn't happen, I think we could make that claim, but it's just – the parity on that department is all across the board. And like what Tommy said, if one player goes down, then it can change, it can change the dynamics of a team completely. Um, football is a really tough sport to uh, predict, um, especially NFL football. I think college is quite a bit easier, obviously. Um, but I think with that said, I think I expect the Chiefs to win the division. Uh, 
I watched uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, Drew Locke for four four years at Mizzou, and I don't think he's the answer for Denver. Um, I mean, he's good good quarterback, but you understand. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's it's, go ahead. it's year two. It's year two for for Drew Locke. I mean, the reality is he's second year quarterbacks. They're not getting. It's like being a rookie again in terms of an offseason. You don't have – you're not going to have OTAs. Probably going to have a shortened preseason. You're not working out with your offense. You don't have your primary wide receiver you can go throw balls to in the offseason. I think it's going to be really hard for second-year quarterbacks, Drew Locke, um, uh, the Giants quarterback, Dan, Daniel Jones. I think it's going to be really difficult for second-year quarterbacks looking to make a – Our, I think our toughest games are on the road, which, you, I mean, you could probably make that claim every year because road games are going to be tougher. But, I mean, wh- who do we play? The Saints? Um, fuck. We the play, Bucks. Um, yeah, the Bucks, the Saints, uh, the Bills, and the Ravens on, on the road. I mean, those are all – that's all – that could be four long Losses, right? That's tough. Division opponents are always difficult, but they have been for the Chiefs the last, I don't know, six, seven years. Uh, and one thing, football, it just, for me, football feels like, so in order to win the Super Bowl, you have to have a decent bit of things go, like a d- decent bit of plays and just luck go your way throughout the season. Um, I mean, of course, there's preparation. There's, there's how you play. There's uh, personalities of the players on your team, but this sport especially, I don't know how to verbalize how I feel. Like, it's – take the the D forward offsides off against the Patriots two years ago in the AFC Championship, and it's just like, if he lines up two inches in the other direction, we win that game and we're in the Super Bowl two years in a row, um, potentially. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get you. I, 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 I cut out for a little bit there, but there's so yeah, many variables think, that go into uh, a winning season in a Super Bowl. It's hard. It's really difficult to determine who you think is going to do what. Yeah, I mean, who knows? The Raiders might be good next year if their draft picks turn out. I mean, it, it's so hard to, to say. I mean, I, I bet good money the Raiders don't make the playoffs or win the Super Bowl next year. But who, who knows? Who saw the Titans being as good as they were last year? I certainly didn't, even after we lost to them. I, I or was the there. Bills. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, to, to me, like, I, I think you're, I think I, when I was watching the draft, I, I made a bold prediction that um, the, the Denver Broncos would make it into the playoffs um, as a wild card. I think that's the second best team in the AFC West. Um, I just, I, the Chiefs have always had Oakland's number, or I should say Las Vegas now. Um, and I think San Diego got uh, Herberg or Huber, or however you say his name. I don't. I don't think he. You know, like you said, him being a rookie quarterback um, and going in with no OTAs, no off season, no way to establish that relationship with his receivers, with his with his offensive line. I think. I think the the Los Angeles Chargers are going to finish last in the division, um, and then f- followed by Oakland, Las Vegas, and then. Uh, the Broncos with the Chiefs winning it. Can, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I, I, I think that that sounds re- – I mean, that sounds realistic to me. I would almost flip Denver and Los Angeles because I I know that they're probably going to struggle offensively, but they still have Keenan Allen. They still have Hunter Henry. Yeah, they, they and have that defense, that defense is – Is good is the best defense in the, in the, in the division. I would argue maybe after ours, it's hard to discredit like a Super Bowl winning team as not having a good defense because the defense was actually incredible in the second half of the season. I think, uh, yeah, their, their secondary is really strong and it's almost unfortunate for them that that's their strength because our offense kind of nullifies that a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You saw so people like, saying, like, they – Von Miller said, we cannot rely on our – our defense is not going to beat the Chiefs. Our offense has got to step up and make make plays in order to put us in a position to win. Because the reality is you probably, at a minimum, 
had to score four touchdowns to beat the Chiefs. That's, I mean, I don't see a scenario where the Chiefs don't put up average 27 points a game this season. At least. Yeah. Yeah, I, I forget where, where I said it, but, um, you know, I, I think it was when we were talking about the draft. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're an offensive coordinator that is not a part of the Chiefs organization, you have to prepare yourself to score at least 40 if you're playing against the Chiefs. That's just the end. You obviously saw that in the draft when uh, Los Angeles uh, and Denver took big moves Um to to improve their offenses just because of kind of what what Von Miller said we all we all know <laughs> you can have the best defense in the in the NFL uh, Tyreek Hill Travis Kelsey um, uh, Patrick Mahomes those guys are going to find ways to get open um, and, and Pat Mahomes is going to find ways to spread the ball around whether that's throwing it with his right hand throwing it with his left hand uh, <laughs> rolling out of the court you know ro- rolling out of the pocket. Um, it's just it's just too hard to stop that offense. That's why I, I truly just I don't think we've seen an offense like the one that that we have in Kansas City in the NFL ever. Hey, the greatest show on turf, baby! Don't Tommy knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I got some St. I got some St. Louis friends who wouldn't be too happy with you yeah. uh, making that assertion. But uh, uh, no, I think yeah. you're right. I think we are. The, I think I'd we agree are with you, probably. Mike. Yeah. Can I can I bring up three things I'm really excited for this season that are non-Chiefs related? Yeah. Or or that I'm hopeful for. I I might sound like so pessimistic when I say these, but number one would probably be just watching the Bill O'Brien debacle unfold with Houston. Uh, I mean we've already seen it in the off season. Uh, an example of that, I think a really good example is our game against Houston. I mean, you could you could obviously point out the fake punt, but he kept uh, J.J. Watt in as a, at the left end, and he coming back from injury, and he literally could not cover the edge the entire game. And we just, yeah. if you watch, if you go back and watch replays, that it would be their left side of the field, our right side. We were just blowing through that sideline. Oh, oh my yeah. god, that whole second quarter was all on J.J. Watt, which is remarkable that. I guess you. I guess you leave him in there for like the morale and in the. He's a such a figurehead on that team that I guess you leave him in. But at the same point, like this guy's getting blown out of the water. Anyway, uh, and then no, two and real be, quickly to that, I think it'll be interesting to see um, the difference. Uh, Hop, DeAndre Hopkins not being a part of that offense when we play them. I, 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 yeah, that's and I can't, one game I can't that really they made him GM. For. Yeah. I cannot believe Bill. Even when I, I remember watching uh, the Houston Texans, uh, what's the show called? The preseason where they pick like pick between hard the four teams. And the, yeah, I remember watching Bill Bryan and Hard Knocks and thinking that he was kind of an idiot. Yeah, nothing, nothing he said like really spoke to me as a viewer. But anyway, and I'm I'm honestly surprised he's been there for so long. Uh, you know, and that's that's the thing. Bill Bryan is not a bad coach he's a bad general manager like mm-hmm. look at the success he inherited let, let, let's let's go back he inherited that penn state program when yep. they had essentially been buried boxed up buried covered in six feet of dirt and buried you know underneath the building like he took that program got them back into relevancy he's a good coach he knows how to coach football he just should not be involved in personnel decisions on a day-to-day basis. That's the thing. And you can say, good well, yeah, he did call that. He did call that ridiculous, like fourth and seven, go for it on their own forty-yard line against us. Which I argue that play where Daniel Suarez made the tackle on the fake punt was the most important play in the Super Bowl run that we've had. I think without that play, we don't win the Super Bowl. We don't even probably win that game. Um, but outside of that call, Bill O'Brien, outside of that call. He's a good coach. He just can't put a fucking offensive line in front of Deshaun Watson to save his life. And he doesn't know how to pay his good players and manage personnel. Yeah. Yeah. Manage personnel, which is what is your job as a general manager to manage generally everybody else? Yeah. It's so mind boggling. Uh, I think it's, 
and not to make I, I hate to make this comparison, but it, it it is kind of somewhat relevant is when Andy Reid was the uh, head coach GM in, in Philly, and that's when it started going sour. I don't think there's a reason why there's a head coach and there's a general manager. You can't be you can't be both, unfortunately. Whether no matter how much they tie in together, I think you you need. You have there's so much time that is devoted to being a general manager, and there's so much time devoted to being a head coach that you can't be successful in either or if you're if you're doing both operations. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, yeah, I think we covered that pretty well. The second thing would be I cannot wait to hear the bitching and moaning of Patriots fans this year. Oh, I cannot the wait. Sweet Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know they're going to be all over social media, all over Brady and Gronk, and oh, I, and they're going to be all over the oh Mahomes is in the dynasty until he wins, yada yada yada. But my God, I can't wait for them to just fucking have a bad season. Whew! I can't stand Patriots fans. Can't stand. Have you guys in that same vein? Have you noticed how much hate Chiefs fans have been getting on Twitter? Like since you yeah. won the Super Bowl, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, are we not supposed to think we're the best team in the world when we just won the fucking Super Bowl? I'm I'm fucking sorry. Like, we just yeah. We just had the if arguably one of the if, most most magical postseasons. If if they don't like it, then do something about it. From what I see, it's it's a lot of Patriots fans. It's all Patriots fans. From everything, well, from what I read, I'm just like, good God, get over yourself, get over your team. Um, so ebbs and flows of sport. Can you be a Patriots fan and a Chiefs fan? I think we know somebody who like that. Who who likes both? <laughs> well, I, I don't now, know him, but now no. know. I don't no, think I don't think you can be a diehard of two professional teams in the same league. The better question is: Can you be a Chiefs fan, Patriots fan, and a Buccaneers fan? Specifically, a Tom Brady fan. Can you be a L.A. Lakers fan and a Golden State Warriors fan as well. Two teams. I think we know somebody who says <laughs> that you can. I mean, damn. You never – the good thing about being a bandwagon fan is you never feel the anguish of defeat because you've always got a winner. Yeah, and that must be a pretty voice. good life. You never sounds, taste the sweet nectar of victory either. You never get that. I mean, can you – like, can you imagine how – like, in how not satisfying it would be to be like a, a Royals fan and a Red Sox fan, and then 2015 happens and you're like, that's cool, we won one finally. Yeah. No, well, that, that you, there should be that this this connection that you have that's so visceral and you feel like you feel physically ill on Monday after a loss. Listen, 90% of that Super Bowl game, I almost 90% of our goddamn playoff games, I did not enjoy watching the football game. <laughs> So it must be nice. It must be nice to know you're going to be happy regardless of the outcome. You, you know, I, if like? I'm being honest, in my like young teenage years, like I'm talking like 11 to like your tweener years, I loved Texas football. Like loved Texas football. Like Vince Young was like a fucking god. Yeah, me. I think a lot of people did. I did as well. And I look back at that. I had a Vince Young jersey. Like that's how intense the like the fans Ooh. were. And I think back on that, I, if 28-year-old me would want to beat the shit out of 11, 12-year-old me. Like, just be like, dude, fucking throw that racing jersey, like, dust that racing jersey off and show it to him and be like, this guy is going to about to be the greatest quarterback you've ever seen in your entire life. Oh, my God. And he still is to this day. God. <laughs> See, I can't, I can't, I cannot relate to that just because. Y'all, I never had a good quarterback. A is that why, Mike? <laughs> Josh dick. Dude, he's huge. I firmly believe They're that that guy Klein, could be an, Michael Bishop. If, if Josh Bobby Freeman put on weight, he could be an offensive lineman in the NFL. He he's such the wrong a position. He's no, but I think there's the the team that I hate the most outside of KU in the Big Twelve is Texas. So I could I never could could get on the uh, liking Texas. I, I I hate Texas with a passion. Yeah, their AD uh, was an asshole. The one in what, like 08, 09? Guy was a prick. Oh, and dude, I can't stand Tom Herman either. God, <laughs> yeah, man. like oh my god, I that guy's the biggest fool ever. Stand that man. Uh, I hate Texas. I like, think that I, says one, something one, about 
their athletic culture to hire someone like that to be the the head coach of their program to be someone who's supposed to be leading these young men to adulthood from from the end of adolescence to to being a young man and adult and they pick tom herman who's like one of the biggest douches in college football well look no further than louisville is the worst the worst perpetrator they had Petrino and Patino at the same time. I mean, those guys yeah, are two no, class A pieces of pieces of human shit. Like, and yeah. they both still have fucking jobs, like somewhere else, not Louisville. But like, they were verifiable pieces of shit when they were at Louisville. That's yeah. Shame. Well, their campus is like 15 minutes from University of Kentucky, so they're they're fighting to stay relevant. I think in terms of that national spotlight. All right, your, boys, uh, what's we're your coming third up piece, What? Yeah, third. What was your third piece? Third. Yeah. Uh, listen, this, I'm going to sound so, like I said, just cynical, but I'm also excited to see hopefully Brady have some shitty seasons so everyone can just shut the fuck up about, oh, he's the GOAT. I just can't stand that argument. I understand it, um, but I'm just so tired of hearing it and – I would like to see Brady have a few shitty seasons. Well, I think honestly, I'd like I think to... that might. I was just gonna say, I think that might benefit Brady going to Tampa Bay and having the weapons that he has down there. I think um, might actually help the Chiefs. The reason why is I think that you know all eyes are not going to be on the Chiefs because all eyes Good are point. a lot. I think yeah, I think Tom Brady um, being in Tampa Bay, I think that's going to get more coverage than. Then Pat Mahomes trying to go after his second ring, and I think that might help help the Chiefs um, in the long run next season. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Can I bring up one uh, sports development that happened today, which I think is really interesting? Yeah. Uh, there's this forward for Watford, which is in the Premier League, um, and Watford reports back to practice next week, but he said he's not going to because he's got a five-year-old and uh, – he says five-year-old has asthma or trouble breathing asthma. Um, and so he's not going to go back and play. And I thought that in also like in the report, he's – I don't know what ethnicity he is, but he's – I think he's mixed black and Asian. And he talked about how the health care for people of his race is uh, – um, oh, sorry. I thought I just heard someone at the door. Was, Never mind. Uh, where was I? So, like, there's no additional screening for for him, and he's not going back to play. He's not. It's like fucking crazy. Which I understand. He's taking his uh, the health of his family as priority, but I just thought that was insane. Like, imagine someone in the NFL like, no, I'm not playing. I think those are the kind of circumstances people would accept as a reason not to go back. But. Yeah. I think when you're talking about bottom line, how much money am I going to make? That's when people have an issue. But if you're looking out for loved ones, that's a reason to. No, I respect play. the hell out of that decision. I do but too. Blake Snell is is I mean a whole a different back ballpark. Bitch. Yeah. Well, yeah. come on. He talks about he talks about it as well. He makes it a small point that he's like, dude, I'm I have to be quarantined away from family. Now, I'm sure that's a big deciding factor. Outside I, of the money. I, I think, like, obviously, money was his main driving point. But if is Blake He sounds married, so tone deaf. Does he have a girlfriend? Because I bet he's I'm been getting sure. some... I bet he's been getting some sniz on the side during this whole quarantine. So he can... Sh- if he's not married or has a girlfriend, I yeah. guarantee that dude's yeah. been doing some dirty-ass shit in the meantime. And, God, just 25% of his salary is more what people make their whole life. I mean, who isn't right now? You know what I'm saying? Who's not... Getting some on the side. We'll edit that, that part out. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, man. No comment. Well, I know someone who is. It's not this guy. It's not Smitty. So who else could it's it not be? not me, man. <laughs> uh, uh, let's, you know, I got a date just... this weekend. We'll see how that goes. It's like first date since like, Ooh, pre-COVID. And I'll be, I'll be out of town, too, so... Tommy's gonna have to light a few candles. I got a bottle of wine in the fridge. Unless she drinks wine. Yeah. Really butter. Well, up. give us the deets. What What are you guys gonna do? We are uh, probably gonna go meet up at a park with our with our respective 
canine friends and uh, maybe for a little walk. That was a Sawyer's suggestion. So shout out to Sawyer. Nice. The one, he was like, just just make the move, man. Just suggest something fun to do. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's what you're supposed to do. To have <laughs> I've, I've mastered the online dating game at the moment. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I thought I... I thought I had it mastered until I met a girl. Until I met a girl in there, who I actually like thought I might want to actually have a serious relationship with him, and I was like, "Shit!" Yeah, that's always how it goes. That's always how it goes. This is all ability to function. Yeah. But I mean, all let's right, boys, hold on, hold hold just one second. Okay, 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 okay. We got time. Didn't one of us just go on a date with a a listener? I think so. And it this wasn't guy. me. That was it Smitty. Wasn't me. It was Smitty. No, it we, so. we need a episode where we just talk about our social media ramblings in those events. That'd be pretty good. Smitty, Smitty how did how the gate take go? Yeah, how'd it go? Yep. Uh, it went good. It went good. We just, I mean, we just shot the shit. Um, we went to Johnny's, um, and then we got interrupted by a uh, Overland Park divorcee who was just drunk as shit and i think she hit on both of us so i think Ooh. she like felt her yeah she felt her up and then uh she, Wait, she definitely she felt tried her to press up? me <laughs> hold on mm-hmm. were you sitting at a bar like how does this how does a woman just enter your guys's conversation like that so we were sitting we were sitting at the bar and like we were there later than than anyone else i mean there was probably maybe about 10 people total in the entire bar but it was just us two at the bar and behind us at like some high top tables was this i mean she had to been in her like 40s 50s like what she classifies as typical cougar? johnson county no not 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 in my uh not in my book but uh yeah, no, she was she was sitting behind us and she was by herself wearing sunglasses inside the entire time when it's like ten o'clock at night. Uh, you know, just the typical Johnson County divorcee and classy broad. Yeah, she, yeah, she just started talking with us. I don't even remember the conversation. I was pretty pretty hammed. Um, but yeah, she kind of the show towards the end. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, but no, it was I'm, good. It was good. We had a good time. Yeah, you Smitty, she, she, very, very chill. Did she think all of the uh, all of the border war podcast or all the border war tweets are yours? I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I know that I. Uh, I, I think a lot they do. Them. I don't even know whose they are. They're not mine. <laughs> They're mostly Smitty's, but I'll, me, I'll throw yeah, them in there. Yeah, I well, always like surprise. Like you like you right, talk well, so much and then we bring up the date and you get so so quiet and so uh reserved. Hey, that's pillow talk, man. You know, he does a kiss and tell, brother. Hey, yeah. who said there was kissing? I was just asking if it was a good date if you liked her. <laughs> I mean, jeez. No, we had a good time. He's, we'll, uh, we'll he's already play. announced. He's already announced how he feels on Twitter when he's at back in the bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you know. Yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna dive further into it, check my tweets. Yeah, there's a lot and on going that on. Note, listeners, check us out at, at uh, on Twitter at the uh, Border Wars Pod, um, where you can catch all of uh, our updates, all of our uh, retweets, shit we find funny on Twitter. Um, hit us up at uh, the Gray Monster SH on Twitter. That's Sawyer Smitty. What's your handle? Yeah. It's Mike Smith, but it's M I K three five M I T H. Yeah, they're, they're gonna remember that. Yeah, and I'm yeah, just Tommy yeah. Caffey. Check us out. Uh, take a listen. We'll, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, all a bunch of other random ones that the that the server puts us on. But uh, this was kind of our first freeball episode, so I'd love to hear listeners kind of how the feedback on how how it went, um, what they thought. Yeah. And, uh, you know, check us out, listen, subscribe, rate, comment, resubscribe, you know the drill. But uh, for everybody out there listening, uh, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, uh, stay hopeful, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace, brothers. Yeah. See you, Louie. Later. Peace, my brothers. See you, Joe. So